Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Tonya Keating, live from the Seattle area today, Thursday, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, October 23rd. Listeners, dial 646-378-0261 to chime in and press 1 on your keypad when you're ready to speak so we know that you are out there. Um, if you don't want to speak, then you can actually listen online, listen from your laptop, listen from your um, smartphone, whatever. Um, but the key for us is that if you do want to talk, press 1 on your keypad. Um, and another reminder about that, I think that they're having some type of uh, technical difficulties with Blog Talk Radio on and off for the past couple of weeks, so the chat feature might not be uh, working. It might be a bit wonky, and if you don't have a Blog Talk Radio account, it might be easier to do that if you open one up so you can fire off a comment or two um, and talk live with us. So this afternoon, we're doing a wrap-up on Western Washington Summit 2014. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more about what that is in a second, but for now, I just want to bring on Charles Keating and anybody else that's out there. So uh, welcome, Charles. Hi there. Welcome, welcome. How am I coming through? So, yeah, you're, you sound great. So uh, no kids or any screaming in the background, and uh sounds like you're, you're good to go. Um, let's do some stage setting here, and then I'll get back to you uh, and for people that are listening. So we're talking about Western Washington Summit 2014, and what it is, it's this an annual technology, business, and education conference. It's hosted by West Sound Technology Association, uh, which we call WSTA. And WSTA is a 501c3 educational nonprofit. It's been around since about 2000. Uh, it has a focus on innovation, high-tech education. Uh, and this year, the summit keynote was Renee Radcliffe Sinclair, who is a recently retired head of strategic initiatives for Apple Inc., who ironically was living right in our own backyard. I mean, she was traveling the country and traveling the world on behalf of Apple, but she lives right here in Washington State. So other speakers included Congressman Derek Kilmer, uh, and Norma Whitaker was also there, who's the Dean of Business and Technology for Olympic College. So the topics included education, technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship, and clearly how all of this intersected um, as it related to our region. And then, you know, the conversation kind of streamed up to how it impacted us nationwide and globally. Now, Charles Keating is the co-founding member and current president of West Sound Technology Association, and he has been since 2009. And we asked them to come and join us and whoever else wanted to uh, join in the discussion from that event or otherwise about the highlights and important takeaways from the summit. So, Charles, first of all, for those of us who don't know you, uh, why don't you start off by giving us a brief background about you, uh, anything important I didn't mention about WSTA, and then just walk us straight on into the summit. 
Well, okay, so my background is I've been in technology a long time. I, I started as a programmer back when I was in high school and became a consultant and ran my own business uh, four years after that. So when I was in college, I'd started my own business, and I've never looked back. So I've been an IT consultant now for 30, over 30 years, 35 years, and uh, so it gives me a, a quite a broad perspective. I still have hands-on skills, but I'm also uh, working and advising clients, and some of them are very small businesses, and some of them are projects for very large Fortune 100 companies. So it runs the whole gamut. Uh, as Westbound Technology Association, we were formed as an organization in this region as the Westbound Technology Professionals Association back in 2000, and we've worked to promote technology. Originally, it was to bring more opportunities into our region because we happen to be very near to East Puget Sound, which is home to so many large tech companies. But West Puget Sound, you have to jump, hop a ferry boat ride to get over there. So obviously, it's not as easy to get to and from the core of the tech uh, economy. And yet, there are still a lot of very skilled people uh, hiding in the weeds, so to speak, around here. And a lot of those people commute or work online, and some work in organizations that work with uh, uh, out of the area. And we were just basically trying to aggregate those resources so that when people look to get projects done, that they look first in their own backyard and give opportunities here if they can before they just, you know, ship the ship the work out of the area, so to speak. So that's mm -hmm. the background on WSTA. You want to talk about the summit because you actually launched the summits back in 2002. Oh, yeah, but this show is about you, and now you're the president, so you're <laughs> going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, you just shoveled it back. That's not I fair. Did, I did. Oh, like what man, I did there, that was huh? a yes. It's like rugby. You threw the ball and you threw it right back. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I've been running it since 2009, and this is our 13th summit. Um, I'm very pleased with the way the summit uh, came off this year, uh, given that, you know, we have a very small board. And what our organization has been able to accomplish uh, with fairly limited resources, I think is quite, you know, we should be really proud of what we've been able to pull together. Um, you know, Renee was a great speaker. You, should we should we break it down? How do you want to break it down? You want to break it down and talk about some of the different speakers. You want to save Renee for last and talk about what you know what what Derek kind of did and what you know, Norma did, and then talk about Renee. Well, I guess it's one? up to you. I mean, I, 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 you could have a blow-by-blow okay. blow for people that weren't there, or you could extract some highlights and talk about some of the points that you, uh, that resonated with you and that resonated with your organization's mission. Okay. Or, I mean, which, however you want to take it. I mean, I can, I can okay. roll whichever way you go. So let's put it that way. Okay. So no problem. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for Derek, uh, Derek Kilmer, uh, who is our congressional representative. Um, I think he really gets it. First off, he, he understands education. He understands the investments that are necessary. Uh, he has an economics background as well as an, an understanding the educational aspects. He believes that this is something we have to invest in, and it's really the core is that, you know, the competitive nature of our economy. That being said, Derek, if you uh, and or your people are out there or listening to this show, first off, thank you very much, and we need more help. Um, <laughs> organizations like WSTA, are out there in the weeds trying to make it happen, um, but it is hard work trying to aggregate these resources. Um, and a lot of people give up a lot of their time, and the organization could do more with some more resources. And I think uh, we got to work smart. But Derek understands this. He understands that we're in an extremely uh, competitive economic climate and that Washington State has to be prepared and that we've done some good things, um, passing legislation, for instance, to count uh, computer science education as a science requirement. 
most states, uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's uh, 50-50 or so now, but originally there were fewer states than uh, did not uh, count my, you know, computer science as a graduation requirement. Here it is, 2014, almost 2015. Computer skills are going to be essential for almost every single career. He, his, his point was, I challenge you to find any job in the future that does not require technology skills. I challenge you to find it. And, and that was yeah, a good that, point that he made. And actually, I, I don't think he uh, mentioned it. I think Renee did in her keynote, and she was uh, you're spot on about that. Because I think you brought up a good point regarding how WSTA was started and why it was started. Uh, and there are some other pieces to that that we're not even going to go into, but suffice to say that running the organization has been very much like an iceberg. I mean, there's a piece that you see, and then there's a piece you don't see. And in a lot of, of ways, it was almost like the Wizard of Oz because there were so many things that were being accomplished and so many strategic partnerships and initiatives and, and outreach that we were achieving, um, not only in the region but across the state and sometimes out of the state um, and across the nation. And I think sometimes you become a victim of your own success in that people see that you're doing so much with so little that it was very challenging for them to to rationalize or to justify even you know putting money into it because well hey you're doing okay from what we can see and then i think the other part of it is that you know changing the conversation uh, about technology from the way that it is perceived you know we'll send our it guy to your summit we'll send our cto well that's great i mean that's that makes sense because of course they're going to be making some of those decisions but when you start talking about technology as something more than a tool and as really part of an environment which is something that uh, renee said then you understand yep. that everyone needs to be in that room and so just to jump very quickly to the four points that i liked about what she made in, in terms of education and then you can just go back to you know however this works with you. She mentioned four steps that were very poignant about going from enhancement to transformation. And I think it has a lot to do with how we understand IT or high-tech or technology uh, in our global environment. And the first thing she mentioned was substitution, where you take the technology and it just replaces an existing method, but there really is no functional improvement. And then the second stage is augmentation, where the technology replaces an existing method with functional improvement. And the third one is modification, where technology allows for a significant task redesign. And then the fourth and final stage that, you know, basically becomes transformation is when it's redefinition. And that's when technology allows for the creation of totally new tasks that were previously inconceivable. And I think that once we start to look at and understand that a continuum to transformation, then we understand that this conversation about technology is really something that all of us need to participate in across sectors and across industries because it does impact our lives in so many ways. Any uh, thoughts or comments you want to throw in there? Oh, gosh, there's just so many places you can run with it. First off, the four points that you uh, – I think as a consultant – it makes obvious sense, but every industry faces these same issues. Technology comes in initially thought of as a tool to solve a particular problem. Here, let's digitize this particular resource. Um, but obviously, it's much more than that. Um, I think it's a very uh, capable tool when put in the right hands to, uh, say, for instance, provide customized curriculum that it, uh, can achieve what the student needs that's tailored to what the student is capable of doing. So, you know, so somebody's an advanced student and they need more challenging math problems or somebody's still trying to learn and grasp the concepts, the programs can tailor to the student's need. Uh, that being said, having that educator in the classroom who's prepared to work with these tools takes a couple of more steps beyond just having a new tool in the classroom and say, here, Johnny, and here, Susie, go and do this. 
it's more of a they have to be aware they become uh, kind of um, digital concierge, you know, getting people into the new era and using these tools. And I think the good thing is our districts in our region, I think, grasp this. I think they've started down the path. They are getting the tools in the classroom, and they realize that there is more. As you pull back a layer, there's always another layer to get to that transformation. But you and I in private sector have seen this, and it happens whether you want it or not. Um, I'll give you an example. How many of us walk around with smartphones, and how many of us still wear a watch on their wrist? Well, if you were in the watchmaking business, and all of a sudden smartphones came along, you'd be blindsided by the fact that you're not selling very many watches anymore. Now, maybe there's a few people that still wear watches as a fashion statement, but for a lot of people, bam, it's gone. They don't need it anymore. And something that seemed like such a natural extension that would never, ever, you know, leave the house without, now all of a sudden it's not there anymore because something else has replaced it completely. Um, you know, and, you know, the same could be said for credit card companies. If, you know, in a few years, phones... And, near, uh, and payment systems become digitized to where the smartphone can complete the payment, it's going to transform the way we process and handle payments. You're going to wave your smartphone, you're going to hit a button on the smartphone, and it's going to process the payment, and that's going to change the way we handle credit cards. You're not going to need a wallet of credit cards walking around that you could potentially lose, although you could lose your phone, and then you're kind of up the creek then too. So, so sometimes we solve a problem, sometimes we create a problem. Well, long story <laughs> short, Back to the summit. So Renee's uh, stack talking about transformation was, was very fundamental, and it was a good – and she had some great slides, like one of the slides she brought out. And, again, it's not new data, but it's kind of like you see it, you see it on the screen, you start thinking about it, and you go, yeah, I kind of get that. Kids that, are, that were born in 2007 that are going in the system have never known technology where it wasn't – the Internet wasn't available right in your hand in the smartphone because they were born at the time the uh, iPhone came out. And if you go back a few years, you know, the kids that are in high school have never not known the Internet. And so as a result, when they want to look up a piece of information, they know that they can get that information within a minute on Google or some search engine going, on the on, going online, and that's going to change the way we access information. It's a totally different proposition than when you and I went to school and you had to access, you know, books and libraries and all sorts of other resources. Libraries are great, by the way, and they're transforming. But the point is the way we access information is totally different. And our schools and education and our businesses need to adopt to the fact that new workers are, are supposed to, you know, take advantage of these tools. She made one other point, and then I want to flip the floor back to you. And that was, we had this thinking that, you know, hey, a kid who goes into his class with a phone in his hand, he's not paying attention. But that, that phone, while it can be a distraction, it is such a great distraction for our daughter sometimes to get her, see her get lost in that digital device, and we, we, we kind of want to find the right balance. But we also realize that thing is also a tool. And if you tell them you can't use that device that is, basically the doorway to almost all the information that's available on the Internet, you're cutting them off. Um, and the same could be true, and this goes to the private sector. You, you talk about new millennial workers coming to the workplace. I know you know about this so well. You know, when you're educating uh, employers on workforce issues, you know, you have a different approach for people who have been raised with using these tools. And you cannot 
for instance, automatically say out the get-go, you can't use any personal websites. You can't ever go to Facebook. You can't go to social media because in some ways they can't get their job done. They can't. If they're in communications, they have to use these tools. Even if they're not in communications, even if they're technicians accessing resources, they, these are their networks where they can get information from. And it's not all fun and games. It's a blend of stuff. Can you want to speak and, to that a little bit? I mean, that's part of it well, as well. She made that point. Well, yes. And she she did raise the point that, um, you know, taking this, the electronics away from the students the moment they get into the classroom and that it was, you know, we were basically uh, educating children for a world that doesn't exist and won't exist by the time they're done with their education. And I saw when the Kids Have Fun article went out about the summit, there was a wrap-up about that. So, um, of course, there were some comments underneath that from people that started to complain because they looked at it in its most simplistic terms and then they started to attack that premise and say, you know, people that are using electronics in classrooms, they're not paying attention, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that is very valid. Those are things that are very true. And I think that given the existing system that schools have in terms of their lesson plans, they are challenged uh, with the possibility or with the likelihood of being able to create programs that really fold in the electronic use in a way that is productive um, and helps the, the children learn. It's not something that can happen overnight. I mean, one of the things that I am always... Uh, reminded of when I'm dealing with the educational sector is how large it is and how bureaucratic it is and how slow it moves for the industry that should be about educating our, us and our children. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, issues, even in that room in your, your uh, summit that came up where they started to immediately talk about what they didn't have. And what they didn't have was funding. We don't have enough funding. We can't um, we have to pay for our own professional development. There's a lot of cants there. And then, of course, McCleary came up, the, the Supreme Court decision about you know, education being a paramount duty here in Washington State and how it should be funded and how they're going to go about trying to penalize and how there's no, you know, there's no teeth behind it right now. But, you know, what uh, Renee brought up that was interesting about that is that we're focusing on K-12 through with McCleary, but we're kind of neglecting the whole K-20 through conversation in doing that because there are some issues uh, once you're done with K-12 through as a um, pathway into the K-20. through uh, We're missing some pieces, and there's some serious issues there that need to be dealt with. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get into a whole educational conversation here with Hugh that's, you know, not related to what took place at the summit. But I will say that um, one of the pieces to changing what we're looking at is not just about money, but it's also about process efficiency, um, how money is spent uh, versus just, you know, putting more money at it, and then how we're structured and the role that technology and electronics um, will play and has been playing in our educational model as it's evolved from, you know, printed books and brick and mortar to virtual and online education and other uh, forms of of learning. Good, good point. In fact, that was, you know, all part of that conversation. And there's cases where you, you're right. If you focus a lot on K through 12, you know, higher education, and I guess, and that was one of the points that Derek did. He said, you know, higher education is treated as kind of optional. And if they're going to take money out of the piggy bank, they took it out of the higher ed, making making higher education much more expensive for students to attend. And um, I know that Olympic College, Norma was there, who dean uh, of uh, Olympic College for Business and Technology, who was talking mm-hmm. about their four-year degrees. Um, they, they've become much more efficient. I know that uh, Dr. Mitchell, when he spoke at, at the Olympic College Foundation, he said he mentioned specifically that they had become 30% more efficient. 
And I think that was because they were under a lot of financial strain to deliver resources at the most efficient way, uh, manner possible. Another example that was brought up was, you know, uh, was it uh, Western Governors or was, the one that's online? That was Kansas, about the, um, Western Governors University, yes. WGU. Western Governors yes. University, yes. So that's an example, and I see a blend. I, I I do see, first off, you know, people when they come to education realize, I think there's so much blowback because there's there's a lot of fear and there is concern. Nobody wants their child experimented upon. They, I mean, in a way, they, they realize they have to be innovative, but they also realize that, you know, gosh, this is our future. So it's going to be a charged subject no matter what. Um and, you know, I could see that kind of reaction when people are talking about we don't have enough money or, you know, we don't want you to just experiment with these, you know, with our with our kids. You know, you, you have to do the proper thing, et cetera, et cetera. Some people were upset because we were treating, you know, are we, are we focusing on all higher ed and only kids are going to become programmers and people who are not destined to become college track and they're looking at CTE, are they throwaway or disposable kids? That That became a question. The reality is all of these need to, to uh, have value. Different students will have access <coughs> to technology and will use it in their careers, whether or not they become programmers or not. One of the key things about Code.org is no matter what people do in their future careers, they should have an understanding of technology and maybe even some basic understanding of programming so that it's not so it's demystified. It will be useful in so many careers beyond just being programming. And if people do gravitate towards that and do want to do it, well, then obviously we need those skilled people as well. But it's a whole continuum. And education, K through 12, needs to invest in it. We need to invest early. And as we go into the higher education, there is the efficiency arguments that obviously are going to be played out, um, whether that's using massive online open courses, whether or not you know, all the students need to show up in the university at the same time, or are you going to break them up into groups where they come together, they do some of their work at the university, they do some things off-site? Heck, in reality, when you're talking about tech projects, a lot of times people aren't in the same building anymore. They're not coming together to build a project. They're all out in different places. They're working in the coffee shops. And I think that was one of Ken's points. You go into Seattle in some places, and you can tell there's entire – you know, groups of different people that you can kind of identify what organizations they're part of by their badges, but they're off working in the coffee shops. They're off working in the cafes. They're off working in the park. And, yes, they're off working in their buildings, but they're working from everywhere, popping up in their laptop, having meetings. That's kind of like the new work model. And I think when you talk about education, part of where we're seeing it go is into a model where it's going to be more free flow. You're not going to have all the students sitting in rows, looking at the front of the, of the classroom, paying attention to one teacher just delivering a lecture. That was another one of her points. It's not just the teacher providing information. The teacher is more of a guide, and kids are getting information directly themselves in many cases now. And then, again, that's where those online resources and transformation comes into play. So what did, what did you think of that when she mentioned that point? Well, I mean, it, a couple of points I want to make, and that's, I'll answer your question, and then I'll go back to something you said earlier about Lou McMurrin, who's the person that made a comment about, um, you know, with the whole Mike Walton conversation about throwing people away or whatever. Uh, and the first one is, I mean, well, in my business and what I do, I mean, not trying to do a plug, I'm just speaking a fact. I mean, I do a lot of leadership and strategic um, consulting, 
and executive facilitation with you know C-suite people. And one of the things that we do when we're trying to have a collaborative environment where people are working together is how we see them. I mean, there is it's not an instructional environment. I don't have people sitting in chairs or tables looking forward, and I'm conducting a college lecture on a on a whiteboard or on a a PowerPoint. What I try to do is is put them in some type of a horseshoe or square or something, because the idea is that the conversation is actually collaborative and it's between the people that are there and not just about being lectured to. And so, you know, classrooms have that component at a certain level. I mean, there's going to be the, you know, K through four, K through five versus what happens in intermediate or middle schools and high schools. And I understand the need for that, but it's really just about balancing and making sure that the information is of a quality and that the teacher is of quality instead of, you know, just focusing on how the room is set up. I think that has validity um, and it depends upon the subject, but they're not going to be um, collaborating on every single um, subject that's there. Uh, but, but you know, to your point, yes, I definitely think that just sitting face forward and being taught is is an outdated model across the board if it's not altered in any way. Um, the second point that I wanted to go back to that you mentioned was, you know, not throwing anyone away. And Lou McMurrin is a... Um, a lobbyist. He's actually one of the, the most respected lobbyists in the state for high-tech issues, and he used to work with uh, Washington Technology Industry Association. He is still working with them, I believe, but they're a client now instead of him being an employee because now he has his own business. But the point is that uh, he stood up and said something about the after-school programs because obviously there are some things that kids are not getting in the classrooms, and so uh, parents and organizations and PTOs are um, ad- admirably um, partnering with other entities to bring after-school programs that involve Lego or programming or math clubs or whatever. And so he, he kind of asked a question about that and said, you know, for less academic stuff. And I, I don't think that's what he meant, but that's what it was assumed that he meant. And so it was assumed that he was suggesting that those things didn't matter as much as STEM or STEAM, and that's not what he meant. Um but to your point about making sure that people are well-rounded and there are other jobs in our society mm-hmm. that need to be filled by people that don't require a four-year degree, of course. I mean, it's a no-brainer. I mean, I think that it's important for Absolutely. us to understand what what the capabilities are. I mean, we live in a society where everybody has to have a degree and people think that, you know, if you don't have one, then you don't count. But I, I think that it's really about understanding the different types of intelligence that we have as human beings and trying to capitalize upon those and making sure that we are guiding people into the right directions so that they can become more productive members of society. And to the degree that we can do that and do that well, then I think we all win. Yeah, and there's there's some real challenges. I, I think, first off, like what Lou brought up, you know, to try to create the enrichment opportunities. I think we started with some of those things, but it's very hit or miss. I can give you an example, like even our daughter going to Wilkes, she had access to a programming class after after school, and that was great. She goes to Sakai, so now she's at a higher grade level, and that school, because of the timing, doesn't have it available. And it's like, you know, once you get the kids interested in something and they kind of go, yeah, this is cool, you don't want to pull the rug out from them. You want to make sure that they have opportunities to continue on the path if, that, if this is something that's interesting to them. I also realize that, and it's been, uh, you know, one of the things about STEM is it's a hard path. I mean, not everybody is going to want to do engineering or programming and coding. Um, I'm not suggesting that every single person out there is going to do that. Some people may start, some people may do some of it. I think it's something that's going to blend with other skills. 
I think one of the things that's obviously been proven out there is if you look at most valuable degrees, comp sci across the board, I think with one exception, top 10 universities, comp sci degree is the most valuable degree over a 10-year span for graduates of all the top Ivy schools. Um, I think there was only one that was uh, economics was, uh, was one other degree. But the point is, so it's a very valuable, critical part of our, our economy. But there's also uh, sociologists are talking about the, the middle class kind of going away. The technology is creating a point where people with skills that have capabilities can have access to very high-level quality jobs. And then the middle tier of jobs is going away because automation is and robotics and manufacturing are replacing a lot of these things. And then what's left is a lot of low-paid skill jobs you know, low, lower paid service work type jobs that aren't, aren't immediately easy to automate. Um, and that's a real concern. I'm not saying that, you know, technology education is the solution to this problem. Um, it's certainly not the problem, but I think part of the problem is, is we're going to eventually at some point in time in the long future, you know, we're going to have to re rework how we approach workforce issues and how we, uh, how we address these problems. I, I think that's, probably a whole talk for another, like, you know, what does the future look like 10 years out and what's going to happen to people, um, you know, in, in terms of the, but in the interim, do we need the skills now? Absolutely. Do we have a lot of jobs that we're potentially leaving on the table? Oh, um, more than a million unfilled jobs in STEM careers, most of them being uh, comp sci IT um technology type programming. There's more jobs in the IT sector than there is in all the other STEM areas. Um, but certainly we need broadly uh, distributed workforce and a lot more of these skills. And I know that WSTA has been promoting this. Uh, we've last year promoted code.org. We've got 5,000 students to participate. Um, and there was 40 million students in this worldwide initiative that they want to get 100 million students involved in next year. And I think that this is a, not only a great start, but it's kind of indicative of where things are going and what we need to do. We do need to take it to the next stage. And West Sound Technology Association kind of has a role in partnering with the districts, with Olympic College, with organizations that do workforce and economic development, with our uh, elected officials, with cities, with ports, all these organizations, with the, with the public library system, which is doing some of the same kind of work, they're all working towards trying to make these efforts gel. And I'm really hoping that people are getting the message. I know that the people inside this problem get it. I'm trying to see, still trying to get a feel of, does the, does the, does the general public realize the dimension of what we're facing and where things are going? So let's get back kind for a second, back problem. to the conference, and, and, and some of the comments or some of the people or some of the questions that came up there. So the, yeah. give me another example of some of the things that came up there that were addressed uh, by your audience or, or by your speakers. Well, okay, so Serene talked about transformation in education. And, yeah, I think there was a certain amount of, you know, we just don't have the resources to make this happen. Um, and I think that's a valid issue. Um you know, I think you're dealing with change, and it's really upending the apple cart in terms of education. So, A, personally, I, I see it, but B, it was great. We had um, Bainbridge Island. We had North Kitsap. We had South Kitsap. I think we had representatives from Central Kitsap. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure there was somebody there from Bremerton School District. So we had all of the local K-12 districts represented and, as long, and, and uh, Olympic College. So I think that was a great thing. Um, Olympic College is up for an award with, the, with their Alpine Award, and they mentioned yes. that as well, uh, which yes. I think is outstanding. It just goes to show you, talk about disposable. Some people look at OC and go, eh, it's just a little local community college. It's a two-year program. You know, doesn't mean anything. You know, I wouldn't want to send my kid there. Wrong. In a lot of ways, uh, community colleges are on the cusp of trying to embrace change. They're the ones that have to really be a lot more efficient, and they're kind of the tip of the spear in a lot of cases. A lot of people are going to community colleges to get their first couple years in and then graduating the four-year programs. Or... Those same programs are four-year programs are coming into Olympic College. They have a four-year IT program. They have a four-year business leadership program. And I forget what else. You, you were part of the business management advisory in terms of uh, helping bring programs into OC. Uh, both certificate programs and I think as well, I think they're going towards four-year programs. So they're adapting. They're not just, you know, this very limited two-year certificate program anymore. And, and Norma made this comment. Again, this was at the summit. She talked about how... They passed a law at the state, which, again, this is, this is good. They passed a law at the state so that the community colleges could get into uh, providing and offering four-year degree programs. And I forget the exact number, but out of how many districts, I, I think it was like out of how many community colleges, I think something like 90% of them were, were doing it now. A huge percentage of them were now offering uh, four-year programs of some degree, and I'm sure that that's going to expand. So. That's a good thing. I, I, I think that was something that came out of the summit was, you know, there was some good news. It wasn't all just here's what we got to do and how much more we got to do. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. And I think uh, your your point about Olympic College is, is well taken. Uh, they do have four-year degree programs. They have some excellent partnerships with WSU and other um, organizations. They are bringing in uh, engineering, some of their engineering classes and some of the equipment that they have there is the best in the state. Uh, and they are, like you said, they're looking at bringing in a four-year leadership program. They have the CIS. They have the nursing degree. Uh, they are definitely looking to um, capitalize upon their agility to bring a higher level quality of education to the region and for anyone that wants to attend. Uh, and, and they are trying to, in a lot of ways, um, compensate for the issues that places like UW, you know, they're having. They don't have enough seats for students that are trying to right. get into those universities. Right. And so, you know, you have to start broadening your thinking in terms of what you want to provide your students, um, especially when it comes to um, globally competitive type topics and levels of interest um, and educational degrees. So I, I think that, it, it, that was by the way, out. by the way, yeah. you you know, either you talked about OC. They gave you a nice uh, award there. I, I noticed they gave you a, a great you and WSTA a very nice award for your your efforts. You know, your tireless efforts um, in trying to bring this conversation to the fore and to keep it at the forefront regarding the importance. Um, because I think a lot of people think that because technology is here, it's ubiquitous. Uh, it's it's a solved problem. It's a done deal, and they're and they just go back to what they're doing because they don't care about technology. They only care about the fact that what they're trying to do gets done and gets done well and efficiently. So it's easy for them to kind of put it on the back burner. But there's so much more to do, and uh, I, I really appreciate what you've done and all people that have stepped up on behalf of WSTA. And congratulations on getting that award. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, 
It is. It's a lot of work. You did a lot of work, too. I mean, I know you've gotten yeah. awards in the past as well. I mean, but it's just, you know, the people who founded WSTA and put this thing forward, you and I were both some of the original people on the WSTA. Uh, you you led the organization from 2002 to nine. I picked up from you, so I've run it since 2009. You know, it's been a labor of love, and it's certainly a lot of work. And I had to make it a point in saying, you know, this is not my full-time job. It certainly could be. I mean, in terms of the amount of effort required, um, and some months it really seems like it takes – I spend more time, you know, doing Westtown technology work than I do in my own business, which is my IT consulting firm, Keating Consulting Service. That's how I pay my bills. And I, and I took a point at the, in the conference to remind people, you know, the people of WSTA on the board are volunteers. We don't get paid to do this. And as a result, our, our efforts are very limited. We, we have to support our families. We're out there. I'm raising a 10-year-old. Um, you know you know this. But the point is, I think, like you say, and you said earlier in this, this, this program, people see the outside results. They don't see the, re, the, the resources necessarily being put into it. They might know what they put into it, but they don't know who else is contributing and what they're doing. The vast majority of the resources of what WSTA has been able to accomplish has basically been what's been donated by its leading board members and people that volunteer their time. Uh, that being said, thank you so much to the sponsors, Port Madison Enterprises, uh, Olympic College, uh, Washington State Broadband Office. Uh, you guys did, you know, your stepping up and helping us uh, has been vital. Uh, organizations like Kitsap Bank, other organizations that have been long-term sponsors. Kitsap County, uh, you mean, right? Kitsap County. Kitsap County. County was a sponsor, yep. Um, they, they get it. They get it. They need. They know that we need to be here. They know that we need to be part of this region. And we are really struggling, I think, to take it to the next level. Like Wizard of Oz, we're pulling the levers behind the, the, the curtains. And I can't think of a more important issue that we need to deal with. Um, it, our very economic vitality, our very lives depend upon us embracing these changes. Um, I can't stress it enough. Uh, people are very unprepared for what's around the corner. It just kind of shows up and then kind of, you know, it kind of hits them almost flat-footed like, oh, gosh, look at how fast this stuff is happening. And, yes, it is. It's coming. Um, we can't well, just you know, rely it, upon it, the military sector. Yeah, I, I know, and yeah, and that's a whole separate conversation. And you, I mean, it's like anything else. You take a frog, you put it in, you know, water, and you turn up the heat, and it doesn't know the difference. And or you take a frog and you throw it in hot water, and it squeals. I mean, so it, it is what it's it is. And out, I think yeah. that, yeah, I mean, it just is what it is. And I think the real issue um, for WSTA, at least from my perspective, and for this region, is to decide what's important to it. Um, you can continue to do your initiatives and make sure that they hold value. And at some point, if they don't hold value for the community, then it goes away, and then they can decide, you know, what they want to be when they grow up in I terms of the there. sectors they want to focus on. And then if they want to start something up again, then let them do it. But I, I, I don't think yeah, that, exactly. the, you know, we don't have it and whatever. Here's what we're doing. We need your help. Um, these are the other things we'd like to do and plug in, and then you just kind of leave it at that. And, that, and I, I agree with that, by the way. Yeah, so, I, yeah, yeah, I agree but, with but that. That's speaking right. you're you're shifting your you know so to get to get to the you're shifting what you're going to be offering in 2005. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, because we have a small board, and thank you by the way for the people who offered at the event to step up. We are going to be in touch, and we're going to we're going to move that conversation forward. But um, coming in 2015, I mean, part of it is 
people don't have to show up in a room to learn about technology just from the get-go. Uh, there's so much online access and resources that, you know, you're competing against that, uh, that educational forum. People do need to get together to network, to connect with people person to person. There's still a need to implement policy changes. So what, what WST is going to do is rather than having trying to focus or try to achieve monthly meetings to talk about technology topics, especially when so much technology is not new, it's being refined, it's being improved, instead of monthly meetings to introduce technology topics, focusing or switching into quarterly meetings where we kind of focus on a sector and, and or um, a particular vertical and, you know, try to aggregate some of the leaders in that sector and talk about what are the policies or what are some of the shifts or some of the things that we can do. Um, so, like, for instance, maybe next year we'll have one uh, that will focus on uh, education. Um, but there might be another – there will be another one that will focus on another sector. Um, you know, maybe we'll have one that will focus on talking about security because, ah, you know, as we know, we certainly need to still continue to address security issues uh, all across the board in terms of technology. So there's, mm -hmm. we're going to focus on more quarterly meetings. And in between, we are still going to have – there's going to be a meeting at least once a month, but it's probably going to be – the in-between meetings will probably be more social. Um, you know, because people still like to get together and talk shop and chat, you know, and, and, and it's the networking angle too. They want to be able to access and talk with their peers and access resources. And it's not always about going there to meet and, and talk about the subject matter or the topic. You know, I think when you talk about some of the, um, uh, the green drinks, that's all it is. <laughs> it's networking really, you know, and, um, but this is still I haven't been there in a while, focused. so I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, but I mean, I'm going to say is, what we're trying to do is maybe something not quite just dream drinks, but maybe something more like a coder dojo, right? Let's get together people that are interested in this subject matter, people that have skills, people that don't have skills but want to have more skills, people that realize they need to have more uh, access to resources. Get these people together in a room, chat, have some fun, not necessarily have a, a keynote presentation in front of them, but, you know, dovetail and cartwheel from there. And if we, you know, kick up enough interest, make that the next quarterly meeting that, you know, we're going to bring in a presenter and really focus on and build upon. Um, th that seems a bit more right-sized to not only where the industry is going, but also the organization and w what people are responding to. You brought up two different things that sparked some more questions in me. You, you, you mentioned, the first thing is you mentioned that your sponsor was the Washington State Broadband Office, and then the second yeah. thing was that you mentioned security. So I'll take the broadband one first and say that, that some topics came up at your summit about broadband and the critical oh, yeah. role that they're going to play uh, in education and bringing those offerings to students, especially if you're doing away with print books or if you're trying to go to a more um, hybrid online on-prem type um, teaching method. So can you share some of the questions and comments or, or uh, issues that came up around broadband? There were a couple. One of them being, um, well, first off, uh, broadband office itself is going away. The functions, I guess, are going to be kind of wrapped into the Department of Commerce, but there isn't going to be a separate broadband office anymore, which is kind of a shock in a way because in a lot of ways, there is more broadband available, but we are certainly still not there. There are school districts that actually have to bus their students to another district or to another area in order to have enough capacity to run the online testing programs that they need to do. So it is still an issue. 
there is still not enough broadband out there by any stretch of the imagination. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of people still on BSL that, you know, um, where the speeds just aren't really fast enough to leverage the next generation of cloud services that are out there. So we were part of the, you know, you and I were part of the Regional Telecommunications Committee way back in 2000. You led the private sector uh, initiative as co-chair and the, the private sector committee when trying to promote this. We tried to aggregate the resources. I think there was a great deal of success in, in, in aggregating communicating what was going on. But at the summit, the key issue was broadband isn't done yet. Um, We still need more capability in broadband. Uh, People brought up issues about net neutrality, which is a a very – they don't want to – they're concerned that if providers have too much control over the networks that they can lock it down um, and prevent uh, innovative startups from getting into and using the network. And it is not a simple, simple answer. Uh, there is, it's, it's a pretty complicated. You start talking about uh, peering arrangements and how the back end of the Internet works. And if, as soon as you peel back a layer of the onion, there's another layer. You peel back that layer, and there's another layer. And um, it's, it's not a simple, straightforward answer. We are going to have to work on solving this problem over time. But it, is, uh, it was an issue raised. And that might be actually yeah. one of the meetings. That might be one of the yeah. meetings, a broadband-focused okay. meeting, especially talking about net neutrality. So good point. Thanks for breaking that up. Well, yeah, and, and there there were some comments there, obviously, about broadband and getting it to the private sector, and then, you know, the last mile, which for people that don't know what that is, is basically bringing it from a, a major backbone to, you know, the home, to the premise or whatever it is, to the X is what we called it, so that everyone can have access to high-speed broadband or high-speed transmission um, at a reasonable cost. And one yeah. of the questions that came up is, why can't we just skip this? you know, and go to wireless. And and the response was because actually the, the wireless gets driven, you know, literally and figuratively from the broadband. I mean, a lot of these wide area network type or, uh, relationships that you have involves like the kids at PUD bringing the, the um, broadband to a facility and then, you know, putting something on that building so that they're, you know, the highest point so that there's um, wireless connectivity. And it's a real, it's about redundancy. So it's not like a one or the other. You have to have both. And then the other question was about the government, which was a question that was brought up way back in 2000. You know, why can't we just put in this this fiber backbone, you know, with a third party that's not, you know, Comcast or whatever, and the government can buy it up wholesale and lease to the public. And so you want to talk about some of the reasons why that's not possible right now? Well, first off, the, provi- the, the private companies have made significant investments in their network. So you're, you're talking about a public taking of private property. Well, there's some real issues with that. How, how, do you, how do you fairly compensate it? And then another question becomes, and even the government realizes this, are they necessarily the best ones to drive building a network? I mean, government is great at creating a fair, trying to create a fair level marketplace. They aren't necessarily best as being the provider of the service. So really, lots of times, you know, and, and then the question becomes, because they can't get the providers to cooperate or you can't get the capacity or you can't get it at the price you want, some people want to bring in a municipal broadband solution. I think it works in some areas. It doesn't work in others. Uh, but it's an, interest, it's an intriguing topic. It would obviously make sense if we had one fast network and we competed with services on top of this network. It's very expensive to build networks, um, fixed-line networks, fiber networks, they're not cheap. 
Uh, they're cheaper than running water pipes everywhere. But could you imagine if you had multiple water utilities? You know, people would be crazy. You know, which water service do you have? Well, no, you have one pipe to your building, um, and you expect that, that service to just work. And once it just works, you don't want to think about it anymore. Water comes to your building. You want to turn on the faucet. You want the water to flow. In a way, you want broadband to be like that. You want to have water come to your facility. You want to have as much water as you need. You don't want to think about not having enough water. The utilities obviously have to think about enough water. <laughs> and in some ways, so the two, when it comes to uh, drought, it's things, a water problem. So the, so yeah. It's, so, the, so the two things, you know, just to kind of bring this back in, the two things that were brought up about the government and the um, wholesale and then leasing to the public were yeah. uh, the first thing was the RCW. And the RCW, as it stood at that time, I haven't really checked it to see if it's changed, but I suspect it hasn't, uh, was basically that, you know, the government couldn't be in the business of selling um, wholesale or to uh, leasing um no end retail, right. To the public, to retail. And um, some of the reasoning behind that was very logical because if you're if you're a corporate or, or a municipal entity and you have the final say-so as to other private sector um, companies that are coming in and whether or not they have rights of way and what type of services they can provide, then you actually become co- competitors of theirs and, you know, look like a conflict of interest. So that was kind of one of the things right. that – and it was brought up at, at that meeting. And then the second part of the um, broadband conversation was Joe Halsey. You want to talk about something yep. that he mentioned regarding Spectrum and how to share it with? Uh, yeah. Well, know. and it's it's one of the reasons why wireless bless bless the 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 fact that we have great wireless networks, or they're at least getting much 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 better. The problem, of course, is wireless spectrum is limited. There's only much so much spectrum you can use. Um, so in a way, it's not like wireless can grow indefinitely. The part of the RF spectrum that you can work with is going to get saturated with electronic signals, and there's only so much you can do with it. Then you have to start working on solutions to make it more dense and use it more efficiently and all these things. And that's what Joe was talking about. You know, wireless is used in concert with or in connection with wired or fixed-line networks. Uh, one does not supplant the other completely. Uh, just because they are they are a limited resource, and he's absolutely right. Uh, and he was mentioning something about you know the government looking at certain rules uh, to uh, allocate additional spectrum and make it available. And um, some of those things, some of those broad brushstrokes, you know, they make a change and they make more spectrum available. And boom, you know, ten years down the road, you know, LTE networks blossom because some of that spectrum that used to be used for, say, old TV radio or TV stations is now being used to drive our digital data networks. And, you know, he's got a great point. You you have to look at some of those rulemaking procedures up front uh, and be part of that process so that, you know, we're making the right decisions. That being said, wireless spectrum will still be limited and even if we make the right decisions and use our spectrum more efficiently, we still have to have, you know, both wired and wireless networks and use them more efficiently. And, um, you know, again, all goes back to the larger section or topic, broadband, broadband being an essential resource that's going to be necessary for next uh, education in the, in the 20, 21st century. Yeah, and, and the conversation with... Uh... Yeah, it I was interesting how it was, you know, it started going into the broadband, it started talking about it. and then I think Harry Brelsford was there as well from S&B Nation. Hi, Harry, I hope you're out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talked about cloud services and a lot of the stuff that he's doing with O365 Nation. 
And, uh, yeah, business is changing, education is changing, everything's changing because a lot of things are going into the cloud. And that brought up the security implications because, and then, of course, it brought up, you know, with Joe Holsey, how are we all going to share this? Um, because the DOD has their um, use for it and, you know, how are we going to coexist? There's different levels of, yeah, so th- that was a really an interesting conversation. I don't think you recorded it this year, is that correct? So there's no place no, to look at it? No, we didn't. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, are you going to have the yeah, PowerPoints up somewhere, or where, where can people go to at least get some kind of a taste of what, what was discussed there? Or? Well, I, I know we're going to get the PowerPoints. I know we've recorded maybe some small sections of it. Um, okay. But, you know, it'll be it'll be more piecemeal. But it's one of those things where, hey, sometimes you actually have to be in the room. Um, <laughs> bless, Bill, bless Bill Huckabee, who has recorded many of our events in the past, who is now uh, off to D.C. Uh, and working there now. Um, he's been our secretary for many years in program and events uh, chair. So I, I think a, a key part of this whole thing is there's so much change. There is really truly opportunity for people who have some of this background, have some of the skills. Uh, I made a comment. We are a generation that existed before technology came to the forefront, and now our ch- children are growing up in an environment where will it never not existed for them. And as a result, we have a unique um, responsibility, I think, to share and help our generation and younger generations transition uh, and and help our economy transition and help our educators transition uh, into where things are going. Uh, Change is accelerating. Um, You know, we, we do a very poor job sometimes of leveraging our veterans, our people who are skilled in resources, uh, people that, has spent years developing skills and careers, but now, you know, they hit 50 and then all of a sudden you expect they don't know anything. Really? You know, somebody <laughs> in a tech startup, all of it, they all have to be 22 or 25. And if you're over 40, I mean, what are you, a dinosaur? I mean, really, um, that's kind of very, uh, that's, that's poor. That, that's, that's like saying, you know, uh, we should only be white and male when going into the technology field. It's just, it's just as limited. Well, you are. We're changing. But we know aren't. But we all aren't, and thank God for that too. I know. But the point is, I know. We, we're we're leaving a lot on the table. We need people. Um, we need to we need to embrace our our older workers as well as part of this transition. We don't want to look at them and say, "Oh gosh, you must you're older. You must not have your skills up to date. Let me throw you to the side." Or even if they haven't updated their skills, "Oh, you're not trainable because you're over 40." Really? I mean, I think people are looking for opportunities. They want to be trained. They want to have uh, opportunities to to grow and get to the next stage. And we we can't afford to leave these people on the table. I know Patty Murray's yeah, I, office is very interested in veteran retraining, and I think that'll be a key part of it as well. Uh, and I, I agree with you. I think that there are a lot of different considerations that go into business decisions to, you know, who they're going to hire and who they're not. And some of it is financial, and some of it is just ageism. And you know, there's a whole issue that we can talk about in another show about more women and girls getting in tech, and they are doing that. And I'm glad that they're yeah. doing that. But you probably have about 30 seconds here. Um, why don't you give us a couple of URLs, and then we'll wrap up. And uh, okay. So let me give you a westsoundtechnology.org. Come join us. Come support us. Uh, you need to be part of the solution. If you're not part of the solution, well, you're just not part of the solution. <laughs> you, um, and I Facebook think we, we need people involved. Uh, Facebook page, uh, West Sound Tech. Okay, West Sound so Tech. West Sound Technology. That's our Twitter um, handle. Yeah, Facebook West Sound Tech. Right. Yes. West Sound Tech. Yes. Right. Okay, got it. Donia, thank on you for making this happen. And we're on Twitter. You know, we're all out there. 
We're we're everywhere. I mean, if you Google us, you'll find us for sure. Okay, and then if people want to be on the board or find a way to help, then do they go to your website and write you, or do they write you directly, or are they, what do they do? They can go to our website. They can write me. Uh, you'll find us, our, our contact information on the website. Come to our meetings. I think the in-person interaction is really important. Uh, November meeting coming up third Thursday is going to talk about setting the stage for code.org, first uh, week in December, Computer Science Education Week. We will be running events. We'll probably be partnering with Kitsap Regional Library. In December, we will have our, our kind of our holiday celebration slash annual retreat where we'll plan out 2015. So I'm going to invite everyone who has an interest in this or has concerns or wants to have a voice to join us, be part of the organization, and help us set the tone for where we're going in 2015. And just quickly, your meeting in November is at Slippery Pig. That's in Paul's Bow, and it's from 530 to 730. So just show Correct. up. It's family-friendly, and uh, you can figure out from there what you want to do to get involved with the organization. And there will right. be beer available. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you. So. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for everyone for tuning in this afternoon. Uh, you can find this broadcast as a podcast now at the site you're using right now or on Facebook at backslash S-T-R-8. That's Sammy, Tommy, Roger 8, Talk Radio. Be sure to like us there. Follow us here. Keep on top of what we're doing. We'll see you next time where we might have a show about bullying or even sexism. We'll see. But for now, this is your host, Donya Keating, signing off at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Thursday, October 23rd. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.